Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Hope Church. It's good to see you this morning. If, you're the, if this is your first time here with us this morning, welcome. I'm so glad you could be with us. My name is David Mathis. I am one of the pastors here. Ruben Barbosa here is a co-pastor. He'll be teaching in the next hour following this one in our Spanish service. Um, God has led us as a church to be a church of two languages, but one hope, one family, trusting in our one Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so excited about what God is doing in us that t- this morning we are finishing our study through the book of Ephesians. I have loved this study. Um, our theme has been in the strength of his might. And boy, God has shown us so many ways that we depend on him and we can trust him and we can walk in the strength of his might. Praise the Lord for what he's been doing. So let's, let's read The last bit, in Ephesians, turn with me to chapter 6. Last week, we covered the armor of God, and we talked about um, what it is to stand in his strength, having done all to stand uh, in every provision that God has given us in the armor of God. And now, uh, finishing that, in in verse 17, it said, and take, or, or to receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, Paul, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. You feel the heart of Paul towards this church in Ephesus. Paul there in Rome, uh, imprisoned in Rome, uh, just reaching out to this body in Ephesus where he had spent years there, um, just investing in the gospel so that, so that by the time he left there, all, all of Asia Minor had heard the gospel. And he had seen many come to know Christ in that area And now he's reaching out from imprisonment, just wanting them to know, to not be disheartened by his condition that Paul, oh no, Paul is in prison. And we saw that even even back in in chapter three, where he took this parentheses to to just say, I want to make sure that you know that I am a prisoner for the Lord, that this is actually accomplishing God's purpose, that I'm here and and there's fruit in, in my being imprisoned here. And God is using this for this purpose that he has called me, and I want you to be encouraged. I don't want you to be disheartened by this. And so now we also see he sent this brother, Tychicus, to them to, to say, I, you know, listen from him. I, it's not enough that I write it in this letter, but I want you to hear from him personally that I am, I am doing well. This is, this is the work of the Lord. Don't be disheartened by that. 
And he gives here a last final request at the end of this letter. And what is that request from his beloved body in Ephesus? It's a request to pray. He says, pray for me. But Paul needs prayer? Yes. <laughs> he needs prayer that, that even in opening his mouth, he's not trusting that what comes out is going to be powerful if it's coming from himself. It's got to come from the Lord. So when I open my mouth, and, and boldness to open his mouth, he's trusting that's coming from the Lord as well. So he says, pray. Church, this morning, I, I want us to receive this, this ask and, and maybe even command and direction from Paul to pray, as a church to pray. Before we get into that, let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this letter that you led Paul and inspired Paul to write your very words as you designed them for that church in Ephesus, but also in a way that they'd be life to our church now. God, I pray as we dig into this, the end of this letter, God, that we would be encouraged. God, that you would open our hearts to receive your word and your truth so that we can walk in it as a body. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. That word supplication means to ask, to, to ask for something. How do we pray at all times? And it, I understand in any body in the church that there's a, we're all at different places, and some of us are in a place where we're still even learning how to pray and what that is, and, and very uncomfortable praying out loud, and that's something we, we have to practice and grow into, is what is it to pray? And, and when we see something like that, saying praying at all times, how can I get anything done? I'm always going to be like this. No, uh, it's, it's not meaning that, that I'm always got my head bowed. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that there's always words in my mind going towards God. Have you ever been on a, on a long road trip with someone? They're there in the passenger seat, and, and maybe you're very chatty, and so most of the time you are talking, but there's going to be those times where you're both just silent, and you're driving along. But if anything happens, you know, something runs out in the road, or there's a, there's a beautiful just formation of clouds in the sky or something, you immediately, without even thinking, you speak knowing that that person is hearing you right there. You're constantly present with that person. And, and, and it's different than if you were alone in the car. Because if you're alone in the car and you saw that, you probably wouldn't say something out loud. Or maybe you would, but it wouldn't be with that same idea that someone's there listening to you. See, when we're constantly in a state of prayer to God, we're recognizing God is always present with us, no matter where we are. And so in that moment, when some life just has something unexpectedly jump out at us, we're not responding to it as one who is alone. We're responding to it in prayer. Lord, it's instinctive because we're constantly in this state of prayer. But how do we get to that place of constantly just being aware of God's presence in our life and, and ready at a moment. We, we don't have to like dial into the Lord. Dear Lord, that's not, that's not dialing God. That's, that's addressing God. We don't even have to do that. We can just speak and he hears us. 
We can speak in our mind and he hears us. We don't, there's, there's no crazy formality in order to be able to connect with God. He is here with us. His spirit is dwelling in us. But how, how can we constantly be in that state? It, well, it talks to that. In verse 18, uh, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, speaking of uh, how to be praying at all times, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. There's, there's a discipline of perseverance. There's a discipline of alertness. And what we'll find is if you can figure out what it means to, to keep alert with perseverance, you'll find that you're naturally in a place of prayer constantly. When I go into HEB, typical me, I've got one mission to buy one thing, and that's what I'm going to go in and go out. And, and if I just, am I not, if I'm not in a state of alertness, I'm, I'm just going to go in and I, my mind's wandering, I'm not thinking about anything, um, and I might run into somebody and not even recognize who they are and go right past them, and later they'll say, you don't even say hi to me. I'm just oblivious. I'm going into H-E-B. But what if when I'm heading into H-E-B, I'm, I'm expecting that as anywhere in my life, God has a purpose for me, and there could be somebody in that place that God has already placed me there to speak into their life or to even just smile to them, or to be kind to them. And there's an alertness to, to realizing God has a purpose for me at all times, and alertness also based in this truth that we saw last week, that, that we are in a spiritual battle, and the enemy never stops. And so if he can catch me off guard, he will. And so if, if I'm going in prayerfully, just even if I'm not speaking words to God in my mind, but I, but I know he's there and I'm expecting that God is working constantly, that there's constantly an enemy, then I'm going to be in this state of prayer continually. All right, let me get back to where I'm supposed to be. All right, then he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying, where are we directing our prayers primarily? To all the saints. And why, why does he say, I, I want you to pray specifically for all the saints? You know, there's a world that needs Christ. Shouldn't he be saying, pray constantly for all of those that need Christ to be coming to Christ? Why, why is he directing us to the saints? And I, I think there's a couple reasons there. One of the reasons is the context here. It's the armor of God. See, the, the full, having done all to stand firm that was, that was given us, then the armor of God, all these things, provision through the word of God and the spirit of God, that's not complete until we are standing together praying for each other. That is having done all. We don't do all alone. And so the full provision of what God has given us to stand strong in the Lord is together in prayer, lifting each other up. But I think there's something else here. See, when we, when we pray as we should for Kyle, for our neighbors, for those that we see with broken homes that don't know Christ, that we see just the desperate need for Christ and we pray over them, do you realize that God has answered the means for that to happen? 
That prayer has been answered in, in how they are going to receive the hope of Christ. That answer is you and me. That through his body, he is going to reach those who need Christ. And so when we're directing the prayer towards the saints, towards our brothers and sisters, towards each other, we are, by, by connection, lifting up the community around them to say, God, empower them to stand strong against the enemy so that then they are light in darkness and they will invade the darkness that is around them. So we are praying along with God's will to reach the world around us when we are praying for each other. This week, I would like us as a church to very intentionally take a week of prayer. And, and in following this direction here, I want us to, to really be lifting each other up in prayer. And, and as I'm going into this, I'd, I'd like to switch over to Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus shows us how to pray, and I want us to look at that in light of how we can pray for each other this week. And so the, the questions in your outline are, are more fill-ins for, for things that we can do to pray for each other. You know, church, this is coming up on... Next week, when we have our One Hope service, we will have finished six months as a new church. Praise the Lord for what he's doing here. So this is a special time in our church, and we need to go into it with prayer, seeking the Lord for what he has next, lifting up this body, because we want to be a light to East Kyle. We want the hope of Jesus Christ to be known by our neighbors. We want the transforming work of the Holy Spirit to be working in the lives of our neighbors that need him. So this week, I'd like us as a church to be praying. Let's turn to Matthew chapter six. Jesus teaching us how to pray. And in verse seven, it says, and when you pray, this is Jesus speaking, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. If you're new to prayer, don't feel like you have to have flowery language. Just speak from your heart. So part of what Jesus is showing here when he says pray like this, he's saying this is not flowery language. There's, there's nothing super great about these particular uh, ways of phrasing, phrasing these asks. He's not saying, you know, Lord of the harvest, who, who, who provided for the Israelites bread every day and, and, and who is sovereign over all these things and using all this big flowery language to say, God, now we would like you to provide for us now the bread that we need at our table. And he just says, just ask, God, I need bread. Simple. You don't have to have great language. And that's one of the barriers, I think, that we have when we're first learning how to pray is that we're afraid of what people think of our prayers. You know what? It doesn't matter what people think of our prayers. It matters what God thinks of our prayers and what does he care about, not what's coming out of my mouth, but what's coming out of my heart. And sometimes when I don't even have the words to say, then the Holy Spirit helps me. It's the promise in Romans 8. The Holy Spirit will help me to say. He knows what's in my heart. But God wants us to pray. So he says, 
Don't use that flowery language, but pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is the first request there. Literally, it means, may your name be sanctified. You know, we think about sanctification as, as becoming holy. What does that mean when I apply it to God? No, may your name be sanctified in the eyes of people. Let your name be great. Let your name be known and holy in East Kyle, in this place, in this church. That's the first request. And, and I can tell you that's a prayer that we have prayed. God, we want your name to be great in East Kyle. Do you realize, church, that God has a plan already to answer that prayer? And that plan is you and me. And through his body, through his church, in this place, that East Kyle would be able to see the holiness of God. That East Kyle would be able to see who God is, the grace of God, the love of God, expressed through his people, through the hands and feet of Jesus, the body of Christ, that's his plan. So when we're praying for each other, the first thing I would like us to pray, Father, my brothers and sisters, I pray that your name be glorified in them. And make it personal. Every, every person that you know in this body, lift them up individually. God, I pray that your name be glorified in them. And know, each of you in this room, and each of you listening on Facebook Live, the people are praying for you, and praying for you specifically that the name of our Lord would be glorified in you, so that his name would be great. It continues, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, let it be here just as it is in heaven. Let, let it be where, where your will is done perfectly, that, that everything is going according to your good and perfect will here, here on earth just as it is in heaven. We want your kingdom, God, to be established here on earth. Do you know that he is already answering that? At, at this time, when they were hearing that, they were looking for a kingdom that was, that was a rule to, to escape from under the rule of Rome, to a physical kingdom. And no, the, the kingdom of heaven that we have right now that God is establishing is not overthrowing governments. It's not establishing political parties. It's overthrowing spiritual strongholds. It's light breaking into darkness spiritually. That's the kingdom right now. And we have every provision spiritually in heaven. That was that promise at the beginning of Ephesians. And our Lord and Savior is seated in heaven. And right now he has us as his ambassadors embedded within the world, the kingdom of God. So when we pray, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done here in East Kyle. We need to realize that he has answered that, and the answer is you and me. See, his, his will being done is, is his will being done in us. Everything that we've been reading in Ephesians is his will being done in us to build us up as the body of Christ. His will being done is for us to reach out then into the darkness around us, 
Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's his will being done, his kingdom come. That's darkness fleeing from light. And so we need to pray for each other. That doesn't happen with a church of individuals. That happens with a church standing strong in the Lord, praying for each other in unity, a light to the world around us. And so my prayer for us this week, God, for my brothers and sisters, I pray that your will be done in them, that your will be done through them. See, this is, this is a central part when, when we're looking at our activity. Uh, in, this is central. So everything that follows this in Jesus' prayer really supports this part of it. And, and this even, when, when we are, are actively kingdom-minded, doing kingdom work, this then uh, feeds into what we just talked about before, his name being made great. The holiness of God seen by our neighbors. This, this, this is where when we, we look at Paul's prayer, it's mostly in this category of kingdom-mindedness, of, of God's will being done in and through us. So when we're going to pray for each other, we can go back into Ephesians and pray, pray those prayers that we saw Paul pray. Pray them for each other. Let's look at that now. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. There's three places we saw Paul praying in Ephesians. And there's many places in the Bible you can go to. In chapter one, halfway through verse 17, I was to lift up my brother Jude, one of our elders here, and say, Father, I pray for my brother Jude that you would give him the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of you, God. That his eyes, the eyes of his hearts would, his heart would be enlightened, God. That he would know what is the hope, that he would truly know the hope to which you have called him. What are the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints, Lord? And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power towards him? God, according to the working of your great might that you showed when you raised Jesus from the dead, and you can continue through there, continues. Pray those over each other. Look at the end of chapter three, starting in verse 16, if I was to pray over my brother John. Say, Father, I pray for my brother John that according to your riches and glory, you may grant him to be strengthened with power through his spirit, God. Through, through your spirit, God, in his inner being. It's a, you know, changing those pronouns is difficult. So that Christ may dwell in his heart through faith. So that John, being rooted and grounded in love, may, may have strength to comprehend with all of us, God, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know, to truly know the love, Jesus Christ, your love that surpasses knowledge, that he may be filled with all the fullness of God. Pray that over each other. Or to even go to the very end where Paul asks for prayer and to pray over my brother Reuben. In verse 19, say, Father, I pray for my brother Reuben that words may be given to him in opening his mouth boldly. God, give him boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. 
which he is an ambassador, praise the Lord, not in chains, but, but an ambassador of the gospel nonetheless. God, give him boldness to speak it as he should, the gospel. We need to pray these for each other. God's kingdom come, his will be done in us to build us up as, as the family of God and to speak the gospel to our neighbors. He continues in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. This does remind me of the Israelites in the desert. They, they were not able to store up a storehouse of bread. It, it would go rotten, and, and it was in, they tried that at first. It didn't work out well. God said, I'm going to give you what you need for this coming day. One day at a time. For 40 years, he did that. God's provision. And so the, the prayer that I put in here was, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would meet their needs. And, and I have to confess that... Saturday came and I realized, you know what, I, I should have phrased this differently. Because, yes, I, Father, I want you to meet their needs, but, but even more so, God, I want, you, I want them to find their needs met in you. I want them to find their provision in you and, and not look to everything else that the world has to offer in order to, to, to find provision. God, I want them to be looking to you. You see, the, the second half of this chapter, God's talking about that, where our treasure is, God's provision, the Father's provision, and why is that so important? We can look at that at the end of chapter 6. If you turn with me at the end of chapter 6, in verse 31, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But what does he want us to be focusing on? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This is going back to the other requests, the kingdom requests. We should be kingdom-minded, kingdom-focused. That should be where all of our life is focused on. He says, don't worry about these things. You're spending so much time worrying about what you're going to wear or where the next meal is going to come from. And we get caught up in what, all the stuff. How much stuff do we have? God says, I just want to provide for your basic needs so that you can focus on the kingdom. Give us today our daily bread. And in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The parallel passage in Luke says, and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. There's, there's an equivalence that we see many places between indebtedness and sin. Um, Jesus expands on this particular point after the prayer, and we see that down in, in verse 14. He says, for if you... Forgive others their trespasses. Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Wait a second. Jesus, do you have your theology right? Is that a question I can even ask? <laughs> 
He is theology. <laughs> he is God. Well, am I, am I at risk of losing my salvation if there's, forget, and there's, there's unforgiveness in my heart? No, we, we saw it in Ephesians uh, in multiple places. In, in Ephesians chapter 1, 7, it said, In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? My, my works? No, according to the riches of his grace. In Ephesians 2.8, we saw that, that by grace you have been saved. By my works? No. By grace you have been saved through faith. And that's not of yourself so that no one can boast. It is the gift of God. And, and in chapter 1, we saw where it said that when you believe, the Holy Spirit was placed on your life as a seal, as a guarantee of your inheritance in heaven. So, so my eternal salvation is not something that I can obtain, and it's not something that I can sustain. So this isn't talking about my eternal salvation. It's not talking about eternal forgiveness that, that we have through the blood of Jesus Christ. But it is talking about a forgiveness that we see in 1 John 1, 9, in that sanctifying forgiveness where it says, if you confess your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's an ongoing thing in this life that has to do with cleansing and being right with God and in fellowship with God that we can continually be bringing our sins to him. And he is faithful and he is just because because of his sacrifice on the cross, to continually forgive us those sins and, and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And what this saying is, is if we're holding unforgiveness in our heart, well, we're not confessing that sin. We're holding on to it. We see this again in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus had just finished talking about how to resolve conflict among brothers in the church. And, and, and afterwards, Peter comes to Jesus and he says, so, so Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? And I don't know if there was an example in the back of his mind at that point. Should it be seven times? Maybe he'd already forgiven six times and he, he had only one left within him. Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. There's no limit to how many times you should forgive your brother. And then Jesus gives him an analogy. He says, Peter, the kingdom of heaven, let me tell you, is like, like a king who goes to reconcile accounts with his servants. And, and one servant owes a great debt. And he, he actually says uh, 10,000 talents, which you looked up, a talent is like 20 years of a laborer's wage. So it's like 200,000 years of laborer's wages, an impossible debt. And he pleads with the king, and the king shows mercy and forgives the debt. And then that same servant goes, and he finds another servant who owes him what it says is, is a, a hundred denarii, which a, a denarii is a, is a day's wage. And so it's a hundred days worth of wages, which in, in human terms seems like a lot, but compared to that other debt is nothing. And that servant goes to the other servant and he, and he rings his neck and he says, pay me what you owe me. And the servant says, has mercy on me and pleads with him, and, and, but he doesn't have mercy. He throws him in jail until he pay, can pay back the debt. And word gets back to the king. And let's pick up actually at the end of chapter 18, in Matthew chapter 18, where Jesus finishes the story 
in verse 32, says, then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. And Jesus says, so also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. It's not talking about eternal condemnation here. That word for jailers, literally in the Greek, means it is, is torturers. I think they softened it a little to call it jailers. What is this? This is the discipline of the Lord. And, and we learn in Hebrews chapter 12 that, that the discipline of the Lord comes from and out of the love of the Lord towards us as a father loving his child. And we learn in Hebrews 12 that the discipline of the Lord, uh, while, it's, while it's not pleasant and it's painful, but it's meant to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our life, which in this case is forgiveness in our heart. If we go back to this purpose of being kingdom-minded, to being effective for the kingdom of God as a church, we need to be unified. And we know, we saw it in Ephesians chapter four when we went through it, that, that it said, you know, be angry and do not sin and, and, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. Why? So we're not giving an opportunity to the devil. When we hold unforgiveness in our heart, then we're giving an opportunity to the devil. And we need to stand strong together in unity against him. And so forgiveness as Jesus has told us, is critical. And so my prayer, our prayer, let your prayer be for me, that we would be quick to forgive, that that would be our practice, that we would be quick to forgive. All right, finally, Jesus says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yes, Lord. And the prayer I would put there is, Father, for my brothers and sisters and for myself, for all of us, God, let us walk in victory. Let's walk in victory over sin. He has given us every provision. Let's take every provision he has given us to stand against the enemy because the enemy is going to bring temptation against us. Let's lift each other up. If we have a brother or a sister who is, who is weak and, and who is struggling to take up that armor, who, who's struggling with, with being able to read and understand the word of God, then let's help them. Let's come alongside them and help them to understand the word of God because that's foundational to the armor of God. If they're learning how to pray, if you're learning how to pray and, you, and you're going, I still don't get this, you need, to, you need to, to reach out and say, can you help me? It, it's okay to say, I don't know how to pray and learn how to pray. And, and maybe get together with someone and, and just with one person practice praying out loud so that you're comfortable over time with praying out loud. We wanna walk in victory together. So this week, I would like us to pray. And what goes along with praying is another practice that's not well understood. 
It's a practice of fasting. Fasting and praying, and that's something that we're given to do. What is fasting about? Well, most people around us in this world know about fasting just as a dietary thing. It's, it's a popular thing to do among some people, just to lose some weight. That's not what this is about. We, we see different forms of fasting uh, in the Bible. Uh, Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days. Uh, he still drank something. It said he was hungry. It didn't say he was hungry and thirsty. Um, your body can only go so long without liquid. Um, but then we also see uh, Paul right after on the road to Damascus. For three days, he was blind and he neither ate nor drank. That was a fast that was both food and liquid. I'd be very cautious about that. You really can't go very long without liquid. Most fasting that we do today will, will involve water or juice um, and, and different amounts of days. Uh, if you look back in Daniel chapter 10, he fasted for three weeks and, and he still ate, but he didn't eat meat and he didn't, he didn't drink wine and he didn't eat delicacies and he didn't, well, he didn't put anointing, he didn't anoint his body is what it says. I didn't look up what that exactly means. If it means he didn't take a bath, I wouldn't suggest that if you're going to be around people. But... But, but there's differences to fasting. And, and even in, in 1 Corinthians, we see when it's talking about uh, as husband and wife, you know, the, 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 for the, the husband, your, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your wife. And the conjugal uh, duties of husband and wife and vice versa. Wife, your, your body doesn't belong to you. It belongs to your husband. And you shouldn't deny that to each other except for a agreed amount of time to pray. It's another type of fasting. Any appetite that, that we're, we're putting aside and saying, I am going to, instead of satisfying that appetite, God, I'm going to focus my attention on you. That's what fasting, it's the heart. It's this thing that it's not necessarily a bad thing that I'm, that I'm turning from, uh, but it is a, a sense of repentance of saying, God, I'm humbling myself and I'm, I, I want to seek you, God. I want to draw near to you, God. And so for a period of time, whether it's a day or two days or three days or a week, we can fast from something. So, so I want to give us some options as a church this week as we are seeking the Lord and praying as a church is, is, uh, but, I, but I also want to, before we get into that, to look at Jesus' guidance, because he gets right into some guidance on fasting right after the Lord's Prayer. So looking in chapter 6, following the Lord's Prayer, in verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy, gloomy like the hypocrites, hip I can't speak, like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received the reward. They didn't draw near to God. They made an impression on people around them. That's not what this is about. It says, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So don't follow Daniel's um, example. I think he might have been by himself. That your, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. We aren't, as a church, making a big deal about ourselves this week. That's not what this is about. And, and as we're fasting, you can pick different times. Is there a day that you want to do that? I'd, I would try to think about when you might have parties or big meals and, 
and, and not put your fast through that because it's very hard to just kind of do fasting in private if everyone around you is eating and you're not. But, but, but as God puts on your heart, take some time to fast this week. If you've never done that before, it's okay to go to another believer and say, I've never done this before. Can, can we do this together? That, that's not violating uh, God's direction here. The, his direction here is that we're not trying to make a big deal about it. This is to the Lord. And, and we can do that together with our hearts towards the Lord and the purpose of why we're doing it. But well, we don't want to be getting to work going, oh, I'm so tired, I'm fasting this week. No, that's, we should do our hair, look normal, act normal. And as we feel hungry, it's between us and the Lord to say, Lord, I'm focusing on you this week. And I, and, and I want to recognize that there are real health concerns, for people for eating or not eating. And, and, and there's, there are real uh, issues with eating disorders, that, that, this, that a specific eating fast may be an issue for you. There's, there's multiple ways that we can fast. And so I want to give us some options as a church this week. So fasting options. First option is food. And that could look like multiple things. If you want to follow Daniel and say, you know, only vegetables this week, no, no meat, no desserts, no delicacies, um, that'd be great. Or if you want to just do water, and, and if you want to just do it for a day or for two days or three days. We're having our One Hope service next Sunday. If that made sense to you to say, you know what, that will be the time that I end my fast because we're going to have a big potluck at the end, that might be a good thing. Or maybe, maybe even just if it's a short thing, say, well, Saturday night, I'm, I'm not going to eat dinner, and so I'm going to be doing a longer fast leading into that meal on, on Sunday. So a food fast is an option. The second option in a 21st century world that we're in and the things that capture our heart, the second option would be entertainment media. If a food fast is not for you, or maybe you could add this to a food fast, and the reason I said entertainment media is that there's a lot of different uh, forms of media. Facebook is a big one. Um, and, and one of the things that you'll find, uh, you turn off Facebook, but then there's also people that you only connect to through Facebook. And so if that's your means of communication, then maybe you want to still have that open, but you want to take Facebook as an entertainment out of your life for a week. And so then maybe once a day you have a time where you just check Really quick, are there any direct messages to me that I should respond to? And then close it. Maybe that's the way you can do it. There's also Instagram and Snapchat and, the, and a dozen other forms of media that are on our phones that, that, we, that, that take, capture our attention, capture our heart. And, and, and it's a real appetite suppressant, <laughs> if that's what you call it. It's, it's a real challenge to an appetite, a real appetite to move away from that and say, I'm going to focus on the Lord. It's a 21st century appetite. All right, and the third one. I, I threw this in there because it was suggested by another pastor. We'll see. If this makes sense to you, then, then, then great. But the third one is shopping. And if you were to take a week and say, I am not going to buy anything except for what is absolutely necessary. Maybe you just love Amazon Prime, and there's a package at your door every day. 
This will be a week when there won't be any packages at your door. What captures your heart? What can you lay aside? And just seek the Lord for how long that would be. But as a church, let's seek the Lord. Let's draw near to the Lord. In James 4.8, we have a promise. It says, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. As a church, we need to lift each other up this week. We need to walk in the strength of the Lord, and that only happens not only by the provision that God has given us in the armor of God through his word and through his Holy Spirit, but by us standing together, lifting each other up in prayer. So let's do that this week. We're gonna sing a song, um, Intimacy. That's what it is to draw near to God. It's intimacy with him. And this is just worship. A simple song of worship. God, we want to be close to you. So let's worship God this morning. We seek him. Father, we do sing hallelujah. We worship you, God. Jesus, you are worthy of all of our attention. You satisfy us like nothing else can here on earth. God, we want to draw close to you. God, we want our church to be in your hands. We can only be unified in you, God. We can only be a light that's powerful, powerful to change lives around us through you, God. So we confess our need for you, Jesus, the head of this church, the head of this body. God, we want to seek you this week as a church. We want to worship you this week as a church. Let your Holy Spirit, God, work in us to that end. Because even in this, God, we need your strength. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.